You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Friday marked the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the quarter, the end of the half year, and half of 2019 has gone by. What was it all about? On the telephone now with me is Liston Mainchies, independent financial analyst, and you can get him at Liston at liston.co.za, incidentally, and this podcast is proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Interesting six months, Liston. I mean, every six months is interesting, but were there any features for you before we get into the next six months? Well, particularly, uh, you know, the bounce back and, you know, statements that it was the best uh, uh, a number for June for any number of decades in, in a number of places. So my little uh, statistical calculation, you know, that June is not a good month on average, yes. uh, was proved untrue. And much the same, we're looking at the first half of the year. Uh, it wasn't difficult to forecast that would be up because we had a very horrible October, no, not not too bad November, and then December was terrible. Yes. So we were starting from a very low base. In fact, if you see it on the chart, you 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 recoil with horror. And again, it wasn't a big surprise that things would go better in the in the first few months. But you know, I go back to my outlook of 2019, which I wrote in December last year. Yeah. And there I said, you know, you've got to look at the United States. It's, you know, the leading economy for sure. And what we've got on the, on stage now is Donald Trump and in particular versus Nancy Pelosi, who is uh, the Speaker of the House, House having turned Democrat in, in uh, February. So Donald now does not have the support of the House. He is in a difficult position. And it was logical, therefore, that he would attract a lot of attention by going ahead with his trade wars and blaming everything on China, and they've stolen 5 million jobs. Now, how he says 5 million are missing when, in fact, they got the lowest unemployment in uh, 50 years, I'm not sure. But the, the long story out of all of that is he hasn't changed his tune much at all. Now we come quickly back to, you know, sort of today's news today, which basically was the G20. And sure as anything, he said, no, the talks are back on track. What that means, goodness only knows. It means nothing. That's what it means. Well, we will get a relief rally no matter what happens. But in in point of fact, you know, let's see what actually does emerge because he's not the one sitting at the negotiating table. And the other guys are sort of having to go scurry for cover and say what what they thought he meant about Huawei and what it really does mean and so on. So all I'm saying is that – the problems that I foresaw for the President of the United States or the tweeter-in-chief, whatever you like to call him, are continuing and will continue. And we will enter into something in the second half, you know, which really uh, relates back to the, uh, the debt ceiling. And I, I suspect that's going to be fairly complicated and difficult. There will be a lot of horse trading. So, again, it's no surprise the first half was up. And I think I've, I've uh, mentioned to you that I think, you know, markets will carry on up under the force of money, the power of momentum and a number of features, but it's not on corporate earnings. Corporate earnings are not looking good at all in the United States. They're looking worse in a number of other countries. But again, what it really comes down to on earnings, and again, one of the one of the items that I said would happen or should happen in, in 2019 was that the oil price would head down. And by and large, it has done that. And then, of course, in comes Iran and all the tactics that we have going on around that and the states of Hormuz. And with all of that, the best the oil price can do is $67 a barrel. So hmm. it doesn't 
particularly surprised me that it's 67. I might have thought it would have been 53, but, you know, direction is more important than the actual number of what it is on a Is it a demand day. thing or a supply thing, Liston? Let's talk about that oil price, because oil, the oil well, price is fascinating. Both. I mean, it's, um, it's in a range, and we get excited about this morning's move of around about 3% to the upside to 67.40, whatever it is now as we pre-record this podcast. But is the demand or the, the potential lack of demand in the economy, the world's economy, exerting a bigger influence than supply. What do you think? Well, I don't think so. I think this is more a supply situation. And OPEC, which, by the way, only accounts for about 35% of world production, is having to handle the shale uh, growth in America. And America is now producing 12 million barrels of oil per day, which is the highest they've ever done. Yes. So, uh, you know, that sounds terrific, except they use 25 million barrels a day. So they have to import another 13 million. So, but it is the best they've had for some time. And then you will recall also, I don't think it was this year, I think it was last year, that they actually changed the law and allowed oil exports from the United States. Before that, they had forbidden them. But they thought there was so much coming on stream and perhaps not of the, the, the correct grades or the correct uh, items for American refineries, that they said, no, it would be okay to export that. So, But again, despite all that, the United States uh, trade deficit is ballooning, and some people are saying that's because people are rushing stuff into America ahead of tariffs and whatever. Some of that may be true. But what I'm saying is, you know, the trade wars are there. They are still there. They have not been resolved. I don't see them being resolved. Uh, but by and large, uh, people have done, done some form of adaptation. I believe come the uh, reporting season, starting probably in a few days' time now, yes. uh, that's for the quarter ended uh, uh, June of uh, 2019, uh, you're going to find quite a lot of companies putting out very ugly uh, guidance and saying, you know, we have encountered further problems. Our suppliers have been switched off. Uh, we can't find new ones we are having difficulty with, and, and, and words to that effect. So I suspect that, you know, wherever we are now, we'll probably end the year a little bit lower, but I haven't uh, given up on the idea that we will still have this lovely Indian summer where everything looks rosy and cosy, uh, but, but actually isn't. Then we cross again to Brexit. And, no, let's not <laughs> talk about Brexit. No, because, uh, listen, honestly, I really don't want to talk about Brexit, if you don't mind, because as, as still as a British passport holder, uh, I find the whole thing uh, quite offensive. And I think what, what people want to hear more about is what happened on the JSE over the last month, quarter and six months. Uh, I think the feature has been the resurgence and continued resurgence up until today anyway, the first day of July, in platinum and gold stocks. It's been rather heartening to see. That has been my feature of the last quarter and the actually the year. What do you think? Right. Well, if you weren't in gold and platinum shares, you didn't have half as good a first half as a group of other people. And I was talking to somebody who's into uh, trackers the other day, and he said, we're doing fantastically. And I said, yes, that's because you have gold and platinum shares, which most fundamental analysts don't have. Uh, they've been the big performer, therefore you have beaten them. And uh, the, the key point is that you know gold shares have performed miraculously over the last 12 months or so, probably more than doubled in most cases. But you know they're still lower than they were three years ago. So it, it comes as a bit of a shock to some people to realize that, you know, the best time to buy something is when nobody wants it. And that was when the gold shares were really down and out and everything sounded horrible. 
I'm still a little bit hesitant about South African gold shares, but as you know, you know somebody like Goldfields, apart from South Deep, have most of their mines offshore. You'll find also that Anglo Gold has most of its its earnings coming from elsewhere. Yes. So again, your two biggest uh, gold shares are not actually exposed to the South African uh, labour situation, rising costs, ESCOM, and the rest. So. Platinum is winning on the on the PGM prices, which, uh, as I, I think I said earlier, uh, relates to pla- palladium and rhodium, and rather than the platinum price, which has been in the doldrums and around about 800 for quite some time now. So again, if you are, you know, you say it's our platinum miners, and you look at it at platinum, you wouldn't be buying them. But if you looked at the platinum basket and in rands, it's the highest it's ever been. Well, of course, you would imagine those shares would be benefiting from the environment. Yes, indeed. I mean, I I think that Anglo-American platinum should change its name, actually, to Anglo-American PGM, uh, which which is is now the theme. And indeed, later on this week, I'm going to be talking to John Bickard, who's been a PGM investor for a long time. He's had his ups and downs, but at the moment, he's on the up. Um, Listen, apart from the the good news of gold and platinum stocks over the last month, three months and six months indeed. What about the, the, the lowlights of the JSE? Because there's this, there's this all-pervading feeling of negativity about South Africa at the moment. Well, again, we covered some of this in our discussion on the State of the Nation. I think it was last week's uh, podcast. Yes. But truly, uh, and it's something I've been saying to people, and I've been around quite a while, I say this is the worst recession I've ever seen. Not a wonder they're talking about uh, prescribed assets coming back. They're, you know, the, the, the treasury is empty. They've got huge contingent liabilities lurking in, in ESCOM and the rest. And they're not providing tenders. And, I mean, I've got horror stories from virtually every uh, branch of the economy that is exposed to the South African consumer or the South African government. And in many cases, they're saying, you know, we haven't been paid. Uh, You know, we just can't carry on like this. And we've seen uh, workers being laid off. You've seen your major, major construction companies falling over. Now, again, in the state of the nation, uh, you know, the, the president can say, oh, we're going to do all sorts of good things for South Africa and, and construction and infrastructure. And I say, but where and who are the beneficiaries? Because I just can't see them anywhere. Uh, we, we look at our roads. We look at our Transnet, which now is, uh, you know, having to do a huge amount of uh, rebuilding and, and uh, whatever related back to uh, uh, just the, the, the maintenance of the, of the rail lines. And, you know, you just cannot get excited at anything there because it all needs money. And the real question is, where will it come from? Now, I'll give you one surprise of where it may come from. And that is that uh, a company called Naspers mm-hmm. is going to uh, list uh, a new company in Holland and you're going to be lucky enough to get shares in that. Now, it turns out that from a South African tax point of view, that's being regarded as a, a CGT event. It doesn't affect insurance. Well, sorry, it doesn't affect uh, retirement uh, funds because obviously they don't pay tax. But insurance companies do, and, and in particular trusts and uh, corporates do pay a much higher rate than the 
standard sort of 18% that an, uh, a fairly wealthy, high-earning uh, South African taxpayer would pay. But I haven't been able to quantify exactly how much that's going to be. But I think that is, you know, the sort of ace in the hole for uh, Tito Mboweni. Indeed. Let's have a look at the South African RAND now, talking about Tito Mboweni and talking about uh, South Africa and the performance of the JSC and therefore inflows and outflows. The South African RAND, currently around 14.10, was 15.10 four weeks ago, I think it was. It's an interesting, it's an interesting conundrum we have here. The negativity suggests and the history suggests that it should depreciate. But on the other hand, I speak to people that say it should be maybe 100 basis points better than this, i.e. around about 13 to 13.20, something like that. What do you think? Well, you know me as a perma bear, and I, and I put it down to you know just the, the the simple fact that you know so many of these infrastructure dif- difficulties will remain with us for some time. But for, I can't speak for the foreigners, but I have spoken to a couple of them, and they say they would love to come to South Africa. They see opportunity here. Uh, they just think that the headlines are all wrong at the moment. So some why are they wrong? wrong? So why are the headlines wrong? Yeah, well, they don't, just don't in, in encourage anybody to come here when they've got the opportunity to be elsewhere. But no, but the, the point about the RAND is it definitely is a tradable currency. And a number of people, partly on, on Ramaphosa, the election, and partly on the State of the Nation address, which may not have inspired us with a lot of confidence, but some foreigners said, well, at least it's out the way and we've got whatever. But I'll just put this point into your thinking, Lindsay, and the listeners as well. Yes. One way or the other, South Africa is still regarded as a gold mining country. And when the gold price is running, the RAND tends to be stronger. Uh, a fairly simple uh, conclusion amongst a lot of people. And as long as people believe it, that's what will drive the RAND as long as the gold price and platinum price too are heading upwards. Okay, so what do we think for the next six months? It's July the 1st and it's got off to a, a, a barnstorming sort of start with the S&P up uh, 30 to 35 points. Again, as we pre-record, uh, that's because of the Trump and G loving, if we can call it that, and also Kim Jong-un and the North Korea DMZ, a moment that Mr. Trump engineered brilliantly, I must say. But the next six months, do you think reality will bite after all these lovely July the 1st (laughs) rallies? I'm absolutely sure of it. You know, what you're talking about is that the market responds in varying degrees and on various items to the news of the day. The news of the day was over the weekend, the markets were closed, copper went up today, oil went up today. That was not from G20, but from uh, a Russia-Saudi agreement. You know, the news of the day has an immediate impact on the next day and perhaps one or two days' prices. But at the end of that, people sit and say, but what does it actually mean? Where, you know, where is it really different to what we thought of a week ago, two weeks ago? And, you know, again, if I look at the United States and earnings, and uh, one company that I find very interesting in America at the moment is Boeing. We all know that the planes fell out the sky and uh, they're still not flying and still not allowed to fly. Uh, They're seeking uh, solutions to this. And obviously that's a big cost, but the even bigger cost is going to be the litigation that comes through. Because essentially, you know, Boeing is admitting to the fact that there was a problem. And I don't think any court of law will allow them to get away with admitting there was a problem and they were not responsible for it. And yet it is exactly uh, the price it was uh, just before the planes fell out the sky. 
And it's certainly well above what it was a year ago. Now, in my opinion, that is just something that can't go on. Mm. Now, why Boeing? Because Boeing is the biggest stock in the Dow by a, a long way. It's at a price of about $350, and the next highest is about 250 Yeah. So it has far greater impact on the Dow. Of course, it doesn't have the same impact on the S&P, so let's not, not uh, you know, uh, confuse that issue. But I'm just saying that, you know, when negativity does strike something uh, quite large and quite a large component of an index, you will find that there, a bit of negativity uh, comes through. Now, they're not in a position, I don't think yet, when, when they report their earnings to, uh, to the end of June, to be able to quantify, you know, the, the damages or, or exactly where they are. So what I said before is they will come out with some fairly ugly uh, uh, warnings, uh, but they won't say anything in, in specific uh, dollar terms. Now, you can take that on a, you know, a bit further. And uh, the other big companies, of course, are the tech companies. And if you have any indication at all, it is that an awful lot of components were being manufactured or by people who provided from China to the other people. So the trade wars are, I think, having a much bigger impact on the tech than the, the, the investors in tech are currently realizing. So it won't surprise me at all to see that you, the, you know, the, the warnings that come out from there will also be worse than many people are currently allowing for in, in, in current pricing. So uh, what about the next six months? As I said before, we're going to bump into a debt ceiling in the United States. And we've already seen, by the way, all sorts of weakness in Japan and weakness in Korea, in South Korea, weakness in China. And we have, uh, you know, Europe uh, keep on mentioning that, you know, something must be done to, uh, to assist, uh, you know, an ailing economy. Uh, so, honestly, if you want me to get excited about the next six months, as excited as I might have been about the first six months, mm. I think you will find that very difficult. I have to be realistic here and say to people that some of the damage and problems that were caused by utterances from February, March and April will only be seen in the next six months and not immediately. Listen, have a listen to an interview I conducted last week with a chap called Sahil Matani from Investec in London about the tech trade war. It's very, very fascinating. You can go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com or to shareinit.co.za and uh, you'll navigate and find that. Thanks so much for your insight. Liston Mainchies is an independent financial advisor and you can contact him at liston at liston.co.za. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.